Welcome to the Lean Change Management Podcast. I'm Jason Little, the author of Lean Change Management, and this week I am talking to Ty Crockett. Ty. Good morning. I am uh, I'm happy to be here. Um, I'm most likely uh, going to be posed as an enterprise uh, agile coach. I work in Dallas with the improving enterprises. I get to go out and be a scrum master and uh, the joy of touching um, all types of different teams and going to work with different organizations. Uh, when I'm not doing that, I am also a trainer, uh, most often scrum classes uh, and some product uh, owner classes, some team dynamics type classes. That's what I do most of my time. Awesome. All right. And uh, yeah, this week we're talking about change teams. So give me, um, uh, tell me a little bit about your experience working with change teams. I would start with uh, the concept of, you know, is it still a valid value proposition right now? Is it the right thing to do today? Because mm-hmm. the book is what, uh, is, is it, was it 95? Um, yeah. It's like super old, right? Or I guess that's super old in, in technology, especially, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. And even in the concept of organizational change, organizational transformation, management, um, is that still the right path to go down? And, um, and so, um, I think I've seen a lot of success with it. It's one of my go-tos. Um, but is it always the right thing? I don't know. Mm. Um, and so uh, I, sh- I should go with the, you know, like, well, so what, what have I done with, um, excuse me, with uh, change teams? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so um, some places where I've seen them be um, highly successful, I've seen some people like, adhere to what the kind of what the book says i've done that in um in the finance industry um i saw a team where they wanted to do four four large initiatives in this by their organization and so they started these uh they call them leadership teams but it's exact same thing um people who have the drive to be on the team um they influential inside the organization they cared about the topic any of those things uh and probably more were qualifiers and they took volunteers and these volunteers formed the teams. Um, one of my favorite examples in this particular endeavor was um, there was one that was about leadership within the organization. And um, it was uh, supposed to be like an HR initiative. We want to um, invest in our people so that our leaders of tomorrow are the people who are just starting today. And like, how do, what does that path look like for them? Which I think is really cool. Um, well, of course, the president's interested. He has a vested interest in this. Mm-hmm. Um, the people who lead HR are interested. Mm-hmm. Uh, the leader of the change team was the receptionist. Crazy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, interested, uh, long-time member of the company, um, had a desire to go, mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and the president's on the team, right? And the president never did the well, my say is this because I overrule. Um, president cast a vision at the beginning of the of the team's kickoff, but they started doing their thing. Um, they had a, um, and they were doing it uh, semi projecty feel um, because their initiatives had to get approval because small mm-hmm. company, um, their initiatives had to get approval and everything. Uh, but they just turned that team into. Um, I would say it was a scrum like team. Um, they had a lot of the same features. They had a, 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 um, a specific cadence um, and they were targeting things. They went high level. Here's some long-term things we want to do. Here's some short-term things. And um, any team member could pick up anything. Uh, it was kind of cool. Um, and then I've seen it done 
at a super large scale um, in one of the organizations that I work for in the airline industry. And they didn't take the whole thing. They took part of it. And they, they formed it around, um, the leadership team was formed around a divisional leader. So we started with the divisional leader and then influential people in the organization and, uh, and people who held a lot of organizational authority. And so um, anybody who wanted to push it forward uh, could lead, um, so they, but they had to be that influential type. The divisional leader was had to be a part of it for it to go forward because that person could stop it and then all they be as a bottleneck. Um, and then anybody else in the organization who wanted to just be a part of it. And those um, and and it, and it was uh, not a forced thing, mm-hmm. uh, volunteerism. Um, but it, but they kept track of which divisions had it and which divisions didn't. And you would see more movement in the divisions that did have it because they were focused and, you know, like managers were listening to what this group said. Managers were most likely a part of it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But it was, you know, it, it helped get things done. Um, and so these are the two um, frames that I've seen it work most powerfully in. What about you? Okay. Okay. I've seen it I've less seen it often. Less often. And more about defining a centralized group with a specific, you know, VP of change or VP of agile or VP of innovation or whatever it is. And then a whole separate hierarchy gets spawned where their responsibility is creating process and, and pushing change out. So the people who actually have to live with the consequence of whatever that is, they really have no say in it. Yes. So this centralized group becomes... Uh, it's well-intentioned, but it ends up becoming the bottleneck for change for starters and so far removed from the reality of what the teams are dealing with that they can't really uh, help. Like there's one team I'm working with and uh, their work is naturally suited to more of a flow-based approach, not so much um, what is in the official frameworks, but they're not allowed to use it because it's not part of the official uh, framework and yeah. this centralized group is the one that is um and and in this case we don't even know how they're getting their data but they're they're compiling data around how agile the rest of the whole organization is and this is a large eighty thousand person organization and no one knows where their data is coming from but whenever it shows like one group is lagging behind the others then what happens well the cio comes down to whoever the svp is and goes why aren't you blah 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 That's- yeah, and I actually reached out to the people um, who uh, were compiling this report, and, and I said, "Well, you know, I'm the new enterprise coach here, and what's happening? Where is this coming from? Is there someone that we need to figure out how do we update the data for these for these reports and things like that?" And uh, the response was, "Well." we create those based on evidence that we see. I'm like, okay, well, where does this evidence come from? Who's, de- who's deciding <laughs> things like that. So it ends up being, you know, it's well-intentioned, but I find it's too, um, it's using the same organizational structures and metaphors that got the organization in trouble in the first place. And then now we've got a, you know, a centralized PMO to deal with and a centralized centralized governance and centralized compliance and centralized Six Sigma. And now we have centralized agile too. So now it's just another set of stuff that these teams have to deal with. Yeah. I, um, I always uh, am hesitant. Uh, I just want to go deep, deeper in an investigation when we choose organizational metrics. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I, I see people, you know, all the way down to the individual. Well, the organizational metrics for you as an individual are these, and they may not be optimal for the individual. They may not be optimal for the job position, as you saw. They may not be optimal for the group as a whole that they that they um, that they work with. They lessen the impact of the individual's leadership, the opinion that it, that's there, um, and the individual's behavior starts to go into weird and wonky places to start to to try to make to move the needle on the organizational metric which may not have been right for them you know sometimes it can be but you know sometimes it can't and then there's but there's not a path for when it's not right um and in the book uh literally the the way that you're seeing it is um the way that it's described it's you know for the organization there's a change team um but i I find that when you're too far removed from the doing then you your opinions on the doing have uh, less basis in reality um so uh even in, in my opinion even if you do the large organizational change team which i think is a good thing if it's supplemented by organizational teams that are at a lower tier mm-hmm. um i think we, as coaches we always say you know push down the decision to the lowest tier you can um where it makes sense where it's responsible where it's the right thing to do mm-hmm. um this is no different to me um you do want to have the vision cast you do want to have the momentum and you do want to have the push from um executive leadership but having them make decisions about in, in areas that uh, are not places they touch often or they don't have good data on and it's rough. Yeah. I think if they're, if they're taking the stance of being more of a supporting group as opposed to another controlling group That's right. as well. So another large company that I worked in where it was very much a supporting group, there was a little bit of a difference with uh, this group having to sort of, uh, appease the gods, if you will, by creating some processes and they, and selling certainty upwards. But the way that we operated was much more of a support by nature. So, you know, each team, uh, there was a chunk of money dedicated just for agile stuff and each team yeah. had 50 grand just earmarked for them. So it was, if you want help, here's this basket of money. You don't have to worry about it. Just the coach will come in and, and here's sort of the approach that we take. We create a coaching agreement. We create, um, basically it becomes pull based. So yeah. we come in and help you figure out what type of process might make the most sense for you. And that seemed to work well up until a point when for whatever reason, well, you know, the executive sponsor for agile left, um, you know, a few months into the transformation, which, which uh, hurt quite a bit and no one really took the reins up afterwards. so at a certain point in time, it became, well, this team has now gone rogue and now we have to get them under control and, <laughs> and all this type of stuff. Um, but the net result was that whole change team was eventually just torn apart. And then each individual um, area of the business would, uh, they were getting coaching capability embedded in their teams. So there was this centralized model sort of went away. I think it's good from a support and maybe an administrative standpoint. So, you know, certain things I don't think need to be consistent and certain things, you know, we don't have to reinvent the wheel. So if there's another group that had a particular type of workshops or training or other types of uh, things that worked, then sure, we can leverage that stuff. 
but uh, mostly what I find is is that guiding coalition is misinterpreted as just being then it ends up just being a different type of change management, which is the problem that we want to get away from in the first place. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I see it um, with other, by, by different names. Um, so we might call them a uh, center of excellence or something yeah. like that. So we start seeing it like that. Um, I've seen another company uh, do it in the pull based. Um, the one that I talked about, I recently finished working with, they're doing it in a pull base. And that, as a matter of fact, that's how I, how I came to work with them, um, a specific division could say, Hey, we would like some coaching just for me and my, in my, uh, context, uh, we like some coaching. And so they would in turn pull in a coach and have, have that coach work with them. Um, and then at the same time, uh, we had someone working, um, and this one was not me, um, working at the executive tier, with that, with that leadership, like, hey, watch out for these pitfalls. Um, we notice that you're pushing this. Here's what we're seeing, the repercussions of that on the team. Um, of course, that's us mixing, you know, that, that's stepping a little bit outside of the model, I believe, uh, that, that they're espousing here. So you have that external person who usually has more um, influence <laughs> with leadership because it's a third-party external uh, voice. Um, and so that, but that helped um, for them to get the leadership team into place um, or, or start to have leadership teams be in place. Um, we, we see now, you know, they have the group that is the uh, center of excellence group. Um, and this time, you know, uh, often it's, we see it as like a, a anti-pattern or something like, oh, we're nervous about that. But what I've seen with uh, this particular one is they're wanting to be involved. It's just organ large organizations might have two different groups with the same vision or mandate and they just don't know about each other. But then as soon as they find out of each other, how do we make this happen and not this happen? And yeah. so um, that's kind of where we, uh, where at least I left off is they're just starting to do this thing. And so um, the people who were doing, working with me and the uh, executive change management or the executive, uh, the um, sorry, the um, center of excellence people, um, the last thing I did was I, I, I taught this scrum class and they were both in there and seeing the two groups together, sharing back and forth their ideas and opinions on how this would lead for help and lead forward was really pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So for those that are, that are listening, the, uh, it was the, the intersections. So, uh, we're recording the podcast via video. So, uh, Ty was kind of grouping his hands together to show how this. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know it's always hard because I always yeah. record these, um, uh, with video. And then when the, the audio goes on the podcast, they wouldn't know what this meant, but yeah. that's cause as you were describing it, it was, that's, um, I've talked a, a lot with my current client around the same thing. It's the centralized change teams benefit, uh, organizations when they work in the white space and they work within um, how do divisions that usually aren't connected, how do they integrate to the rest of the organization? So the one group that I'm working with, it's a lot of uh, um, either backend systems or business operation systems and things like that. And we don't interface with the rest of the organization very much at all. Um, So a lot of the process that's been determined for some other groups don't, they don't make sense for us. And it, it's more around how do those interactions get managed? And uh, if they don't, I've seen it go the other way. Whereas, you know, if we had uh, one other client I worked for, we had, you know, 20, 25 teams all doing 
various different uh, delivery cadences and a whole bunch of other things that was really screwing up some of the centralized ops teams and release teams. Now, ideally, we merge those functions into the team so it goes away. But what happened was these centralized teams would just got overrun with capacity and uh, all these agile teams just deciding I'm going to release every week or every two weeks or whatever this is. And this poor centralized operations group now has 20 different types of processes to deal with. So naturally what they did is they made it harder for people to actually release stuff by putting more control and rules in place. So I think, you know, centralized change teams can help avoid that problem by focusing on the, the, the interfaces between groups and groups that don't have a strong tie back to the mothership. Who cares what they do? If they do Kanban, Scrum, Crystal, it makes no difference. They shouldn't need to adhere to any type of standardized practice across the board because they're relatively independent. And I think from, but mostly what I see with, uh, with uh, that guiding coalition is just, it gets interpreted as we have to standardize across the board the one I hate the most is, well, we're a big enterprise and we can't blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, we don't have to transform the 80,000 person company. Yeah. You know, we can, we can focus maybe on 5% of it to start or 10% of it to start and focus on what are the areas that could actually be structured differently. So maybe we don't structure them as a hierarchy. We just, we structure them more as a, um, as a network. So flatten the hierarchy in this one particular division, some of those barriers, but wherever they need to link up to the rest of the organization, manage those links appropriately. And, um, you know, it's, it's hard when, you know, you're a bank that's been around for a hundred years and you have all these, uh, I find mostly internal compliance, challenges. Uh, I've worked in HIPAA. I've worked uh, with SOX compliance. I've worked in banks. Uh, I think insurance is the only industry I haven't worked in. Um, but a lot of those constraints, they're perceived constraints. Yeah. They're, and, and they're usually imposed by some internal groups. So how much of your compliance is internal focused versus actual market constraints or regulatory or federal or external governing bodies um, don't assume you have to have a standard practice across the board because of compliance when it's your own internal people that are creating more rules and processes and things like that. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. I, and I get like, even the, with, with those organizations that are super old, um, uh, if they've been around for a long time and they've seen success, um, the, if, if we're going back to the, the, the Cotter model, um, the, concept of create a sense of urgency is a little bit hard there, but they have competitors, right? And so if, um, of course, at all, when we talk agility, it's like, well, what does that mean to you? If it's the Agile Manifesto, then great. Um, we want to work in this different way. Um, if it is um, agility as an organization's ability to like harness change for competitive advantage, then that there's the driver right there. We, we still have all this stuff. Now, uh, for people who are not or don't know what the heck this Agile thing is, um, that still makes a lot of sense. Um, or, or, and the, the, the concepts of the, in the manifesto make a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so that should still be our, our driver to push movement. But if it's one, one rule set to rule them all is, um, is a thing that I've seen that just... It, that's that's always a struggle. Um, uh, it's always a struggle for, for for 
for the positions to do that. Yeah. The, uh, the particular change team uh, that I'm working with now, they've been around for eight years. So there's a lot of inertia behind a lot of these uh, processes that have been created. So trying to, with a new division that I'm working with, well, it's not a new division, but they, they've just recently adopted, uh, started looking towards working in a more agile way trying to overcome those boundaries and decide which battles do we want to fight and which ones should we avoid becomes more of the problem because now you've got people outside of our group that are higher up, you know, you're getting into CIO level that they have a certain expectation that they've seen it work a certain way for a certain period of time. And then if the, if the, uh, the execs in the division I'm working with go counter to that, then it becomes a safety problem for them. So can they really push back on, you know, somebody is expecting some standardized report that's created by some other guy. And now yes. if we're doing the opposite and we're saying, no, we're not doing that anymore. So you guys come down to our floor and you see the way that we're working. Yes. Probably not going to go over so well. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and it's, for me, it's really to let the leaders choose. So we're doing a liftoff session Wednesday, actually. So two days from now. Um, and, um, it's their choice, right? They want me to come in and, and explain what is agile nirvana for us. And I'm, <laughs> I can define that for sure, but I don't own your yeah. vision. You guys, right. I can give you pros and cons. We can talk about, okay, if we kind of color outside the lines because some things make sense for us, but they don't fit into the official whatever that the centralized change team is doing, what's going to happen to you guys? Well, yeah. if something goes wrong, it's going to come right down on the VP's head. And then that's going to come right down on the head of the direct reports for that VP and probably kill the whole thing. Um, so there's a lot of inertia to undo and um, it's doable. It's possible, but it's a matter of how, where, how much autonomy. I asked this question so many times within this particular organization, how much autonomy does our group have to color outside those boundaries where is our autonomy with hr like can we move away from uh, individual based performance and move towards team based or do we have to go back into the mothership like do our hr business partners have the clout um, to be able to do that is that the expectation in this organization so helping them kind of choose what battles to fight i think and i see too many times where change teams don't provide that they provide here's the way it should work and it has to be consistent and standard because that sounds good to executives. The certainty, the feeling of certainty often trumps actual certainty, I find. Yes. If, um, centralized change teams, to me, more or less reinforce the status quo by trying to apply the same metaphor. We want to work completely different, but we're going to create this centralized team to show you how to do it in a standardized kind of cookie cutter way. Yeah. And then you got to ask yourself, well, we tried that with a PMO. So we couldn't get anything done. So we created a centralized PMO and they created all these standard practices. And then, well, that didn't work. So then we created a Six Sigma group because somebody has to be responsible for process improvement and they created a whole bunch of standardized practices. And well, crap, that didn't work either. So why the hell do you think a centralized agile group is going to come along and fix it using this model? And... um, I, you know, I feel bad for some of those people in those, those change teams. Cause when you, as soon as you get down into the, uh, the coaches who are part of centralized agile change teams anyway, they're often handcuffed by that same hierarchy too. Yes. So they end up kind of inadvertently, they end up being enablers of the same kind of behaviors that 
the organization wants to change. So I'm not saying they can't work. I think people just see that step two and they, they go, well, let's, um, and they don't get deep into, well, what does a guiding coalition actually do? They're a supporting function, number one. Number two, they don't stay together with the same group of people for, you know, five, six, seven, eight years because you just you, you don't get the value of perspective. And they co-create, they facilitate change. They don't create it and force it and then blame resistance. And uh, I think people just read the headline of that step two and go, oh, oh change team, check. <laughs> We're all set. Yeah, I, I think the the thing that the profound thing is that, that you said is um, their support function, right? Um, if it's if it's anything but that, I think you struggle a lot, um, and you get to all the other those points that you just mentioned of struggle. But if we can act as a as a support group, and then uh, even when we act as that, uh, some of the skills that we have as coaches will be really valuable invested in those teams. Um, the concept of like powerful questions would be really, really great. Um, uh, w- what results do you, are you trying to get to? What ends are you trying to achieve? And then now let's co-create, let's collaborate on what the, um, what the path to get there is. Um, at me, myself as a manager and as a leader, um, I always try to hire and have surrounding me a team of really awesome people. Um, and I think that any uh, leader would say, hey, that's what I want too. But then when we hire those people, we bring them in, they are expert in their field, and we don't listen to <laughs> um, what they say. That is uh, kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that's something that often happens. Um, and, and even down there, the people, if we trust them enough to do their job, and one of those jobs is they bring in good people, then we should trust that down the line too. Mm-hmm. I think this is maybe a, a concept of what leadership style do we have? Is our leadership style, um, I'm going to forge the path that I'm responsible for everything that I'm doing, or is it we are and we are a group and as a, as a whole, this group is going to move forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, different, different styles on doing that. Right. I think. Right. So as far as um, supporting the whole uh network of coaches or change agents in you know, enterprise organizations. Like one thing I'm recommending, um, I guess, as an alternative to having centralized change teams is, is building just informal coaching capability. So when I first talked to this client and every client that I've ever gone into, it's, I want to find the, the movers, the people who are going to be the early adopters or the innovators that, uh, just uh, they're a natural fit for a coach or a scrum master role. And how do we keep the roles and the titles out of it, but more transfer as much as my skill as possible to those people? Like in the change world, they call that the change champions or a change agent network is, is yes. the, the model that's typically used in change management. Um, and for me, like this uh, centralized guiding coalitions facilitate that happening. So instead of them creating rules and process and standards and, and, and controlling, you know, all the coaches report into a VP of agile or whatever it is um, it's more or less, you know, supporting an administrative work to enable each of the individual divisions to develop their own coaches. Yes. Um, which is something actually the client I'm working with now, I actually turned them down the first time and said, you know, I, I, you guys aren't ready for this based on the people I've talked to, there's, there's no alignment around what it is you're trying to do. And then, um, so they, they, uh, I had another chat with the VP afterwards and explained the same type of thing that 
the eight of you need to be on the same page. If you're not aligned, like the change lives and dies with you guys. And we really need to move away from these standards and move towards developing capability. Um, and by that, you know, there are 1600 person organization inside this, this, this large corporation. And, you know, so we, we need 20 to 30 agile coaches it's not an official title, but at least people that have that capability, because as soon as you make it an official title, then you need a manager and a director and a VP and a senior VP and the CEO of Agile and then um, all this type of stuff. So how do, can, are we able to keep that informal here and just find the people that can, can do this type of work? And they work in the white space. The challenge I've seen with that is budgeting. Usually there's a centralized budget. Uh, for agile. So that's why the coaches are contained within one particular cost center. Um, I've seen other models where project budget pays for coaches. So if you've got a million bucks for this project, you carve off certain percentage and you yeah. can bring your own uh, coach in or uh, you charge back another group for their time, something like that. So, yes. yeah. But then it gets into the money thing and like, well, you yeah. used them and you weren't supposed to be. And uh, yeah. Um, yeah, they, airline that i worked with they did um you could either have the leadership team uh so they, but it was at the divisional level but each one of these divisions is a me- medium-sized company like so it's it's similar uh the, or the option was a uh, agile champion um so the with the change teams um if it's if they're too far removed um or they become authoritative and not listening to their people problem um with the agile champions um if they were if it was champions plural i'm golden when it's the individual we're back at the superman bottleneck you know Mm -hmm. Um, and when they're not there, does movement happen? Do the, does the group become stagnant when they leave? Um, as you said, with, the, your, with your champion leaving, when they leave, does the change fall apart? Does the, the movement fall apart? Um, but if we can get a few, if we can build, um, or even if the single champion can start a culture and start mentoring who's the next one and the next one and the next one, uh, then we're winning. Um, organizations also see fear around that as, well, they're just going to like skill up and leave. I'm like, well, then yeah. the problem is people, the problem is what's your culture and how are you, how are you keeping them? How are you keeping great people in the company? Yeah. So. Yeah. That, that, that's a great point. Cause I think, um, you know, maybe early on you need that centralized change team to create enough inertia to get things going. Yes. Then maybe it needs to go away. And it becomes yes. informal roles and titles and pockets of the organization. But I think it, it becomes dangerous when you, you end up with, you know, a VP of Agile and then a whole layer of hierarchy within this Agile group. Now you've created a permanent structure until you choose to do a reorganization, which is yeah. what I've seen organizations do, where they now will move Agile underneath somebody else that they feel should be controlling this type of thing. So how do we keep it... Um, how do we get the benefit of managing the connections between different groups um, and creating skill and spreading skill around while avoiding it just becoming a, another PMO structure or another, um, uh, you know, Lean Six Sigma internal process improvement group? I, I love this. Um, so uh, I'm not 
the best at retaining what I read. So sometimes I have to do it a few times or <laughs> do it in small bits. But um, from my what I remember um, in the last time that I've read this uh, particular book, the um, what to do after because a lot, lot the, your last step to, step is uh, start the change, like do the change thing. But change is um, while change as a concept and as a thing to do is constant. The change, like the big change that you're trying to lead the group through, is a finite thing. So when that's over, yeah, the change team should disperse. And in the meantime, as the change team is making the change, they should be pushing down whatever the qualities that they had to the organization. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that when it's time, I, I, I have um, like my steps in for, for an organization that when I'm going to go coach them, like, you know, I'm going to start, I'm going to come in, I'm going to do some observation. We're going to level set, make sure we're all on the same page, have a shared understanding of what's going on, et cetera. And to this part where I used to say detach, um, that didn't play well with marketing in my company. <laughs> uh, it is now sustainability, which I think is a, a much better framing. Yeah. Um, so what does sustainability look like at the end? Um, whereas, you know, again, it might just be me reading the book, but I remember saying, here's all the stuff you do, but then how do you undo mm-hmm. um, is, is the next thing. And, and I think you have a really great point that there has to be an undo and the undo has to have the, all the good that came out of it has to keep moving. Mm-hmm. So who does that? Right. So I don't know if we reached a conclusion, are they good or bad? <laughs> <laughs> sometimes good, sometimes bad. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know, it's a funny, um, there's this uh, thing that we do with, um, with uh, talking about what the future of Agile looks like. And at the end of the day, we always come back around to people. Um, uh, one of our coaches did a presentation that had like a soylent green. And it's like, it's people, you know, yes. it's people that, 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 that really matter that, that what it's really about is people. Yeah. Um, and so if the people um, believe like, uh, like we do about uh, change and uh, believe like we do about um, um, pushing the decisions down and making the other people a part of uh, this process that we made, mm-hmm. then when, um, if the people are, I am doing this for personal gain, for uh, maintaining organizational authority, um, because I will absolutely tolerate no other way, um, whatever my issues are, right? Yeah. Uh, then I think it's going to be a, a struggle. Um, if we're not willing to change what today's modern style and needs for management, um, then I, I think it's, it's going to be bad. But yeah. we can choose the good path. Yeah, for sure. Yep. <laughs> yep. All right. So um, just before we wrap up, uh, tell me what's new with you and um, where can people connect with you and, uh, and learn a little bit more about you and what you're doing? Okay, cool. Um, uh, easy ways to connect. I am Ty Crockett at tycrockett.com or the work one is ty.crockett at improving.com. Um, I am on the Twitter and uh, I am a TT Crockett with two T's on the end. I like the two things on the on either mm-hmm. end. It's kind of cool. Um, I am I am TT Crockett on the Xbox, just in case. Um, and uh, and uh, on LinkedIn, um, I think it's LinkedIn slash N I N slash Ty Crockett. Ty Crockett. I went with the, something a little bit different there. Um, but um, big things for me coming up. I I will. I, I submitted for. Agile 2016. Mm-hmm. We'll see how that goes down. 
<laughs> I'm not very good at writing um, writing abstracts. Uh, my one of my partners in crime is Allison Pollard. She uh, she tries to help me so much with this. It's just not my detail things, you know, not me. Um, and um, I'm uh, I'm trying to figure out what other conferences and stuff I want to do uh, this year. I have to get in a coach camp. Um, I uh, will be doing Lisa Atkins, uh, Agile Facilitator. For, that's, that's my missing piece of her whole uh, framework and, and growth and everything like that. Um, that's my my latest stuff. I'm really into uh, interviewing Agile uh, coaches and Scrum Masters, and so I have a pretty heavy-duty focus there. Um, I am starting tomorrow, I'm going to be prepping to... Uh, finish my uh, professional scrum product owner training certification. Um, and then finally I'm going to succumb to the uh, world of scaling and I'll get, get deeper into those uh, things. Uh, that's, that's, I, you know, you do it, uh, you work in large organizations, so it just happens, but mm-hmm. the, this is how you do it um, is always a, a struggle for me like you know this already like you haven't been there but you know this so i'm i'm struggling with that but i'm i have to i have to uh, go ahead and, and get into it it'd be horrible for me to say something doesn't work and i didn't actually give it a shot so right <laughs> that's me um that's me for the uh for for at least that's the current plan subject to change by tomorrow yeah <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks. Uh, thanks very much for taking the time for the uh, the chat today. And uh, so anyone listening, you can check out all of the previous podcasts uh, again at leanchange.org slash podcast. And uh, if you're listening to this and you want to have your say about centralized change teams, are they a good or a bad thing? And tell us a bit about your experiences. I typically do a rebuttal call uh, after the podcasts, And then anyone who's listening, you know, you've got a chance to either agree or disagree with some of our points. So contact me through the site and uh, look forward to the next podcast. All right. Thank you, man. You've been inspirational with me and my teams. I appreciate it. Good. Yeah, you're welcome. Appreciate it.